the Gemara at the bottom of 61b seems to think that perhaps you can take care of the problem that how can you go out wearing this uh, amulet on Shabbos? What are you going to do when you have to take it off when you go to the bathroom? Right? You're, you should be concerned. Perhaps the guy's going to go out and he's going to have the amulet on. He's going to have to go to the bathroom. He'll take it off. And he's going to be carrying in the public domain. So the Gemara suggested perhaps the reason why it would be okay is because if it's an amulet that really works, you're even allowed to carry it on Shabbos and it's not an issue. That's what the Gemara finished with. And basically what the Gemara is saying is, since the, it's, the purpose of this is an actual amulet, it becomes a tachshit, it becomes an ornament, and even if it's carried in your hand, it's still okay. The Gemara now is going to say that's not true. The Gemara is going to say it's not true based on a brisa, based on a tanea group. Tanya, on the I, just have a question, I just have a question here. Sure. An, an ornament is considered to be something that actually has no inherent use on Shabbos, right? It's just uh, something. It's just something to decorate yourself with, right? Correct. Yeah. So, but this amulet has a use. It, it's it's a protecting the guy from sickness. It's not just an ornament, or is that what the Gemara is about to say? Um, no, I don't think the Gemara is going to really say that. The Gemara could could, could say that it is an ornament, but even if it's an ornament, you can't carry it in your hand, right? So just mm -hmm. because you're allowed to wear a ring on your finger doesn't mean you put the ring in your hand and just carry it. Right? So that's what the Gemara is going to say. In terms of, to your point, I don't think the fact that it serves a purpose does not make it not an ornament. Per, the, the question is, does it have any active role in anything? The reason why you wear it is to protect you from something else. So it, has an, it is an ornamental thing that you use to protect you from something else, but that's still going to be in the category of ornament as opposed to the category of a vessel. Right? Okay. Okay. Tanya, the Gemara says, we learned in a bracelet. You're only permitted to go out with a with a tachshit, right? Only if you if you don't take it in your hand and then walk with it for Amos in the public domain. So El you know, we have to give a different answer. Why are you permitted to go out with an amulet on Shabbos? Uh, in, in the Rosh why are you permitted to do that? You might come to carry it. You have to go to the bathroom. So my answer is the Machufa are we're talking about a specific case where the amulet was actually covered in leather. So it had names of Hashem inside it, but the names of Hashem are covered in leather. Since the names of Hashem are covered in leather, that's okay. Now, we actually learned in, in Brachas, and that's what the Gemara is going to get up to right now, right? And what are you talking about? Just because the name of Hashem is covered in leather, that's not enough. How do we know it's not enough? Because we learned in Brachas. If you have to go to the bathroom and you're wearing tefillin, you have to take your tefillin off. Now, the tefillin, the names of Hashem are inside the box, and inside the box is covered by the leather. So why is that not okay, according to you? The Gemara says, all right, tefillin, are. Tefillin are covered with leather. Betanya, we learned in our You have to take off your tefillin four hours away from the bathroom. Benichnas, and then you go into the bathroom. The reason why you have to take off your tefillin early over there is not because of the names in, inside the tefillin. The names inside the tefillin would have it would have been sufficient the fact that there's leather surrounding it. So why you have to take off your tefillin four hours away? And if you ever look at the side of your tefillin, you'll see that there's a shin on the side of your tefillin. And that shin is a halacha l'meshmisina, right? The Torah never says anything about having a shin on the side of the tefillin, right? But the halacha l'meshmisina, there's a whole bunch of halachas about tefillin. Probably the, the most the most halacha l'meshmisina about any specific uh, mitzvah in the Torah, one one specific mitzvah is probably the mitzvah of um, tefillin. That is the most different things of halacha l'meshmisina. What's halacha l'meshmisina? Halacha l'meshmisina means something that we believe came to us from a tradition directly from Moshe Rabbeinu. That when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai, he said. There are certain things that Hashem wants you to do, and it doesn't get into the Torah, right? It's not written in the Torah, but Halacha Lameshim Sinai has the same status as the Arisa, 
as something which is on a Torah level, okay? In other words, something that, for, for whatever reason, and, and that's a, a big question, exactly why Hashem gave him these certain mitzvahs and only orally, and he only told it to us orally, but he never told it to us writing it down in the Torah. But for whatever reason, those mitzvahs have the same status as a Doraisa, as a Torah level mitzvah, okay? So when it comes to tefillin, the fact that they're totally square, that's Allah Lameshim Sinai. That it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that it has to be square. The fact that there is a shin on the outside, that's also Allah Lameshim Sinai. The fact that the, the way in which we have, the Gemara is going to talk about this in a minute, the knot on the back of your tefillin, the, the knot at the, the, the shell rosh, the one that goes on your head, the knot of the leather that meets in the back, can't just point to the back of my head, but nothing more than that, that knot is in the shape of a dalit. That's also Allah Lameshim Sinai. That the knot on your on your hand should be in the shape of a yud. It's also Allah Hamishmisina. So what the Gemara is going to say is like this: the reason why you have to take off your tefillin when you go into the bathroom is not due to the fact that it's disrespectful to the names of Hashem that are on the the parchment inside the tefillin box. That would be okay because the tefillin box themselves are leather and they're covering it, and the leather covering it would be a, a sufficient separation. It wouldn't be disrespectful. However, the fact that you have between the shin and the dalit and the yud that ends up telling us. One of the names of Hashem, right? You say Shakai, we don't say the name the, the name as it is because that's a regular name of Hashem. However, Tefillin in its entirety is a name of Hashem. So the reason why you can't wear Tefillin into the bathroom is not because of the parchment, it's rather because of the boxes themselves and, and the straps. So let's read that in the Gemara. Benichnas, why can you do that and go in to the bathroom? Mishum Shin, says, Shin shall Tefillin al Hamishmasina. The fact that we have a Shin on the outside of the box of the Tefillin, that is al Hamishmasina. That is a one of the laws that we were taught from Mishra Benu at Harsinai. The Amar Abaye Abaye also said, "Dalit shall tefillin alach mishmasinai." The Dalit of the knot is also alach mishmasinai. The Amar Abaye Abaye also said, "Yud shall tefillin alach mishmasinai." The Yud is also alach mishmasinai. Okay, fine. So now what we're saying is, what's the answer? How could someone go outside wearing an amulet on Shabbos, so a protective amulet on Shabbos? Wayne is going to share a picture that he shared with me on the Dafyomi chat of someone who uh, actually has an amulet today. I don't know if he's still wearing it, but he actually had an amulet. It's not covered in leather, it's covered in metal. But the Gemara tells us that an amulet that's covered in leather, you're permitted to go outside wearing it on Shabbos because even if you had to go to the bathroom, you were permitted to walk into the bathroom with the amulet on. You don't have to take it off. And therefore there's no concern that perhaps you would take it off and carry it in the public domain. The Mishnah said, You can't go out with a Syrian. A Syrian is a... Um, uh, chain, chain, uh, you know, um, armor, and casta. The Gemara is going to say what cast is, and we're going to say what megafine is. Surian zarda, which is this, uh, you know, the, the armor, pseudo armor. Casta amarav sanvarta. So casta rav says sanvarta. It's not the actual metal helmet, right? Rashi says it's the kevea or tachas kevea matachas. You have a metal helmet on top of your head when you're a soldier, and underneath that metal helmet, you actually wore some sort of leather helmet on top of that, and I guess, I'm not sure what that's for, Earl could probably explain why people would wear a leather one underneath their metal one, so maybe just be comfortable, so that it's one, a, you know, it's, a, it's a shock absorber, for concussions, well, yeah, because, I mean, even if you can't cut through a metal helmet with an edged weapon, um, if you hit a guy hard enough, you can fracture his skull through the helmet, so generally speaking, warriors always wore some kind of padding underneath their helmet to absorb shock and to prevent chafing. Well, uh, and people who were poor, people who were poor could only, could only uh, afford the leather helmet. Ah. Wayne, where, where did the actual name go? Do you know? Did the guy find, did you find that where the name went? 
Wayne? Yeah, I can't find the actual post. It was on something. Oh, okay. But um, it says Ben something. I can't. Uh... It's Ben Porat Yosef, which yeah. uh, the reason why it says Ben Porat Yosef is that that's part of the bracha that Yosef got, that he's above oh. Ayin Hara. Right, so that's part of the idea of, of, of a amulet is to protect you from Ayanhara. So that's why it's probably I'm guessing that's why it says that. Okay, yeah, I'll take a look and see. Okay, Magafayim Amarav Pismiki. So what are Magafayim? Rav says they're Pismiki, right? Which um, Pismiki Rashi explains what it is. That basically it's the this an Peloyes Shalbarzol It's a, some sort of a, a guard that you would wear on the lower part of your leg in a battle to protect you from getting, uh, you know, I guess. Um, your Achilles tendon, right? The Achilles tendon is higher up, I think, right? I don't remember the Achilles tendon. Doctor, where's the Achilles tendon? Is it higher up or lower down? It's lower down. It's beneath the knee. And it connects your calf to your heel. Oh, so that actually is. Maybe that is actually what they were. I think it's talking about something called greaves, which are shin guards. That I forgot that you're a military guy, also. The, the doctor. The doctor. Now. The doctor is correct. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Um, okay, So he said a lady cannot go out on Shabbos. So far, we had been talking about a machat that was not nekuba, a needle that did not have a hole in it. It was a needle that was more decorative. Now we're talking about a needle that actually has a hole in it. In other words, a needle that could be used for sewing. So a lady cannot go out with that needle on Shabbos. And now with the ring that has a signet on it, you know, the the, chosem, the seal on it. And now with a kaliyar. And not with a kevelas. The Gemara is going to discuss what a kevelas is. And um, keliar is Farish Gemara. So the Gemara is also going to discuss what keliar is as well. But shall I guess. So and not with a tzluchis is like a little glass jar. Palyotan is a balsam oil. But if they go out like that, now we're up the ante. In the previous mission, we were talking about things that are not forbidden on a Torah level to go out with the Chavis. And the only concern is that perhaps you would, you know, on a Torah level, permitted to go out. They're an ornament, right? But on a rabbinic level, there was concern that perhaps you would take it off and show it to your friend and carry it then. But these things are things that are even forbidden to go out with on Chavis on a Torah level. And, right? Because we went out with it, you have to bring a carbon chavis. That's the opinion of a mayor. And the Chachamim say that you don't have to bring a carbon if you went out with a kevelas or with the flask of balsam oil. So Ula says like this, the opposite by man. What are we referring to? We see from here that anything that is, is uh, appropriate for a man is not appropriate for a woman. And anything that's appropriate for a woman, anything that's appropriate for a woman is not appropriate for a man. What are we referring to specifically here? We're referring to specifically here is the tabaz case, the ring case that we already discussed earlier, uh, yesterday's, uh, two days ago, down, right? So we said that a man typically wears a ring that has a chaisim on it, that has a, uh, a seal on it. And a woman typically wears a ring that does not have a seal on it. So when a woman wears a ring that has a seal on it, she's violating something on a Torah level. When a man wears something that ring that does not have a seal on it, he's violating it on a Torah level. Right? Obviously, this is going to be dependent on time and place, right? Because clearly today, for a man to wear a, a wedding ring that does not have a seal on it, clearly that is once again an ornament, right? And, and that is typical behavior for a man to wear that. But in those days, it seems that men would not wear a ring unless there was a ring that actually had a seal on it. And women would not wear a ring that did have a seal on it, typically, at least. Um, so, Masvar Yetzir, yes, ask the question. Haroim Yetzir Masakin, the very famous Gemara, by the way, really, you know, uh, very, very progressive in a certain sense. Uh, in a certain sense, maybe not as progressive, 
But in terms of men being from Mars, women being from Venus, this might be the first source that we have for this idea. So if you guys ask a question, this question is like this. It says that Rayim, shepherds go out with sacking. They're allowed to go out with sacking. Sacking means a sackcloth, right? And, and shepherds, that was a typical garment that they would wear. Probably they got pretty dirty. So that's what they would wear. Maybe that's what they were doing. They were wearing this type of garment when they were going out to be a shepherd. Now, the is that not just shepherds are allowed to wear sackcloth, but they are allowed to wear them. Everybody's allowed to go out wearing the sack. It is typical for a shepherd to go out wearing, wearing uh, this sackcloth. And therefore, we said it's, it's permitted for shepherds to go out. But it wasn't just shepherds. It's really everybody's permitted. Now, why is everybody else permitted if it's only typical for a shepherd? So the halacha is, the halacha is that uh, the shepherds are permitted. And once shepherds are permitted, everybody's permitted. Because what we say is if it's, if it's typical for a certain category of people to go out wearing that, then it's okay for everybody to go out wearing that. It becomes sort of part of the category of clothing, or in that instance, it's clothing. In this instance, it would be ornaments. So the question Lamar is asking is, listen, if a woman is permitted to go out wearing this type of ring that doesn't have a seal on it, and a man is permitted to go out wearing a ring that does have a seal on it, how could it possibly be forbidden on a Torah level for the opposite gender to go out with their opposite um, ring? It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be forbidden. It shouldn't be permitted. The same way we see it's permitted for all of society to go out wearing sakin, even though only shepherds normally go out wearing sakin. Our answer is, famous answer, different types of men, different socioeconomic classes, they're all one category. But men and women, completely different worlds, completely different nations, right? And you can't extrapolate from the behavior of one to the behavior of another gender. Okay. I mean, I guess it's not so progressive, not anymore. Uh, but it's progressive in terms of uh, in terms of how how they uh, in terms of what was progressive twenty years ago. Let's say maybe twenty years ago. Eisvei Abaya. Why ask the question? I might say tefillin. Machnisan zug zug. The question is like this: The Mishnah tells us that if you find the tefillin in the public domain, you're allowed to put on the tefillin on Shabbos, and thereby you'll be it's okay for you to wear them on Shabbos because now you're wearing them. And you put them on and you take them out of the public domain so they don't get destroyed. And it says you're allowed to wear them two pairs at a time. And it says there's no difference if it's a man or a woman wearing it. But if you say women are in their own category of person, right? Fill-in is a positive commandment that's time-bound. And if it's a positive commandment that's time-bound, then only men are obligated in the midst of wearing fill-in. So if men are obligated in the midst of wearing tefillin, then it's okay to say, well, since men wear tefillin the whole week, it's considered like a malbush. It's considered like a, a, a clothing for them, so to speak. And men are allowed to wear tefillin on Shabbos. It's not going to be carrying. But women never wear tefillin. They have no obligation to wear tefillin. If they have no obligation to wear tefillin, then why isn't it considered carrying for them to actually walk around with tefillin on their head on Shabbos? So that's the Gemara's setup, right? So in other words, what we're saying is it's not true. Women are not really their own category of people. Umar answers, Hasim Kasavara Mayor, Laila Zman Filanu. This is the position, this uh, the authority who says that you're permitted for women to, to uh, walk around with fillin. That's the position of a mayor. A mayor's shita actually is that Laila is the time for wearing fillin as well. Night is also a time for wearing fillin. The Shabbos is Zman Filanu. And Shabbos is also a time for wearing fillin. Shabbos and night are times for wearing fillin. If you say they are, we don't pass them like that. But if you say that they are, then how do they miss the cessation as my grandma? Then it's a positive commandment that's not time bound at all. The whole mitzvah cessation is my grandma. So essentially, according to a mayor, women are also obligated to wear fillin, right? Now, we don't pass them like that. But according to a mayor, if that's who this mission is following, then it, it, it works out very nicely. Because the reason why women are permitted to wear fillin is not because 
they, they get to leapfrog on the status of men, but rather it's because they actually are obligated to wear tefillin too, and therefore they do wear tefillin on a regular basis, and therefore it, it is a malbush, it is a something that would be considered like clothing for them too. So, um, okay. Place. Now the Gemara asks a question like this. Okay, fine. So you've now convinced me that a man to wear something that a woman wears and a woman to wear something that a man wears is unacceptable. Okay, fine. But now what you're telling me is that a woman, the Mishnah tells us explicitly that a woman who goes out on Shabbos wearing this ring that has a seal on it, the halacha is that she's going to have to bring a chatos. One second. If it's atypical for a woman to go out wearing a ring on her hand, and why does she have to bring a karmachapas? The only type of haitzah that you're ever chayef for is a haitzah that's a typical type of haitzah, a typical type of carrying. So normally, if you carry something in an atypical way, that's not going to be a problem of haitzah. I mean, it will be a problem on a rabbinic level, but it's not going to be a problem on a Torah level. So if it's atypical for a woman to wear a ring on her finger that has a seal on it, then it shouldn't even be considered carrying on a Torah level. right? So we're going to see. We didn't see it yet, but the Gemara later on is going to talk about when it comes to carrying, what's considered a significant act? Right, because whenever we talk about um, Malacha Shabbos, the, the labors that are forbidden to be done on Shabbos, it always has to be considered a significant act. So when it comes to carrying, it has to be that you're carrying something, a, a matter that is a significant uh, size in whatever type of uh, matter you're carrying. So you're, this is a significant for someone to carry. A, the, the fact that it's an atypical way of carrying makes it a not regular way of doing the malacha. And if it's not the regular way of doing the malacha, then in general, we say anytime you do malacha and it's not regular way, you're not chayav on a Torah level. You're only chayav on a Torah level if you do the malacha in its typical way. The reason for that is because we say, that the Torah tells us that the only time you're chayav for doing a malacha on Shabbos, for doing a forbidden labor on Shabbos, is if you do it in a, what's called a malachas machshavas, which is a little hard to translate, but let's say it means a, it really means like a intentional malacha, but that comes to teach us a whole bunch of different things about the nature of a Shabbos malacha to be chayev chatas or to be chayev, uh, you know, tarets for doing it intentionally. And one of those things is that it has to be done in the standard way in which this type of act is done. So this is not a standard act of carrying. Women don't carry these types of rings. Men don't carry those types of rings. So why do be chayev chatas? The Ishag is Baras asking, and Yermia says the answer is with the man Ishag is Baras. And Ishag is Baras is a woman. A Gizbar is a treasurer, right? So someone with some level of authority. So a Gizbar generally would have a ring with a seal on it. And Ishag is Baras would also have a ring with a seal on it because she has to be stamping things with her authority. And therefore, since she has to be stamping things with her authority, that's why she's Chayat Chatas, right? Now, what's bothering me a little bit right now is well, if she's an Ishag is Baras, then why is she? Then why is she chayav Why isn't she allowed to wear it totally at this point? Then, right? In other words, if she normally does wear it, then why isn't she allowed to even wear it on Shabbos? Oh, so Rashi says, very good. Rashi says, Interesting, interesting. So it's like this. He says, when we talk about carrying a ring on Shabbos on your finger, the ring has to be there. The only way it's permitted to do that is not because, not because it's functional. <laughs> Not because it's functional, but rather because it's a tachshit, because it has some sort of level of ornament, right? So for a man to wear a ring that has a seal on it, that's an ornament, right? But for a woman to wear a ring that has a seal on it, even if she's the type of person who normally wears a ring with a seal on it, it never gets to the category of ornament for a woman. So even though she wears it during the week, and therefore it's something that it is called carrying for her, and it's not considered atypical carrying, since it's not something that has the status of tachshit, therefore it would be she would actually still be forbidden to wear it on Shabbos 
because it doesn't have attachment status. Only something that's an ornament is permitted to be carried out on Shabbos on your body, either something that's an ornament or something that is clothing. And it's neither. Amar Rabba, Rabba Chana Amar Teratz the Isha, Isha, one second, Teratz the Isha, Ish, Fine, you've answered how it's possible that a woman could be carrying a ring on her finger, could be wearing a ring on her finger, and it's going to be carried in a typical fashion because she's the type of woman who normally does wear a ring that has a seal on it. But, but a man, how are you going to explain that? What type of case are we talking about here? Why is the man normally wearing a ring that ha- doesn't have a seal on it? What exactly is the case? There are times that a man gives to his wife a tabash, he hands his wife his ring with the seal on it to carry it to the kufsa, to the box, you know, the safe. So she's going to bring it to the safe. And when she brings it to the safe, what does she do? She puts it on her finger. So since sometimes she puts it on her finger, that already reaches the status of it's not a typical way of carrying. And therefore, if she carries it out on Shabbos on her finger, that is going to be problematic and she will have to bring a carbon katas. Now, she'll put it on her finger until she gets to the cups, until she gets to the, the, the box or the safety. There are times when a woman gives her husband a ring that does not have a seal on it to walk to the uman, bring it to the, uh, to carry it to the uman, to the craftsman, the sake, to fix it. And he puts it on his finger and he puts it on his finger until he gets to the uman, until he gets to the, um, craftsman. Okay. The mission said you can't go out with Kelia and you can't go out with Kebelas. And it's Machlikas about the Kebelas, whether or not you're Chayef Chatas. The Kelia always seems to be across the board that you are Chayef Chatas, but the Kebelas was a Machlikas. What exactly are these items? My Kelia, what's Kelia? Amarav, Machbanta. What is Machbanta? Oh, interesting. So basically, this machbanta is this uh, some sort of, um, I guess it's some sort of pin that basically you would use to tie together like the two sides of uh, of your um, of a blouse, let's say, or uh, or some sort of shawl, and you would you would pin it together. So that's the that is the uh, the kebelas that she's not permitted to go the the kelia that she's not permitted to go out with. Now a kebelas, amarav chumrasa tepilain. Rav says a kebelas is a chumrasa of pilain. What's P-line? It's, I think it's, yeah, Kesha Shakasha by Sam. Right, there you go. So, what, what a P-line is, this, uh, this, this, uh, Kevelas is basically like a little, a sachet of, um, you know, of good smelling, uh, dried, dried flowers that basically people did not have the best personal hygiene and they didn't smell so great. So, what you would do is you would put this little sachet around your neck and that would then, it would, you would smell better and you would be able to tell that you hadn't taken a bath in the last month or so. So the halacha is, oh, so, so he says, the Rav says, what is the case of this? This is the Chumrah Sadapilin. And Ravasi also agrees that it's Chumrah Sadapilin. We learned in the Raisa. You're not allowed to go out with the Kevelas. But if you went out with the Kevelas, the Kevelas is the case of the um, of these nice smelling uh, herbs, right? If you go out with the Yechayev Chattas, that's the opinion of Ramer. Come say you can't go out like this, but if you go out like this, you're going to be exempt from a Chattas. Even in ideal circumstances, without any questions asked, not just Patarab al-Asr, she's exempt from being in a car, but it's not forbidden on a Torah level. Rather, she's even permitted to do it ideally. So we have a three-way machlekes tanayim. One says, Chayev Chatas, for going out with this uh, little sachet. One says, 
putter from chatas, but asr midarabanan. And one says, you're even mutter lechatechile. You're permitted to do this ideally. What's the machlekes? The maikimithi, what are they arguing about? Rameir Saber Masayu. Rameir says that it's considered to be carrying something. And since it's considered to be carrying something, you're chayel chatas. Abanan Sabi Tachshadu. The Chum say, no, it's actually a good smelling, and not a good smelling thing, but it's an ornament. The Dilma Shalfa Umache. So if it's an ornament, then why are you not permitted to go out on Shabbos? Because the same concern that we always have about ornaments. Perhaps you're going to take it off and show it to someone. And then you're going to go walk for Amos. Rabbi Leazar, Sabi Leazar holds, Man, Darka, Lemirme. Who wears this type of thing? Isha Sharecha Ra, only somebody who has bad B.O. Isha Sharecha Ra, Loi Shalfa Umache. So the woman with bad B.O. is not taking it off. I presumably she's not taking it off because uh, if she does, then people will smell her, right? So it's not the kind of thing that you take off to show your friends. You're not going to end up walking for Amos in the public domain, and therefore it is permitted to do this ideally. But Daniel, we learned in Arbaisa, Eliezer, it says in Arbaisa that Eliezer exempts by a Kevelas and by its Lucha Shalpayatin. He exempts one from a carbon chatas if they go out with a Kevelas, this uh, sachet of uh, you know herbs, and if they go out with a little jar of balsam oil. It sounds like he only exempts it. Generally speaking, when we use the language of potter, that generally speaking in Shabbos, what that means is potter abel aser. You're not going to bring a carbon if you do so, but it's forbidden to do that on a rabbinic level. However, we just got finished saying that everybody has his opinion, and the other first price that we bring down is that no, it's even permitted ideally, right? So it's not just potter abel aser, it's permitted ideally for a kebelis. What's going on? How do we explain this contradiction? Like Hasha Hakikai at the Rebbe Mayor. One time he's coming and, this, and arguing on the opinion of Rebbe Mayor. And one time he's coming and arguing the opinion of the Chachamim. The Chachamim themselves said, So if he's arguing on the opinion of a mayor, he's just going to say the same thing as the Chachamim. Because if a mayor says, then the appropriate response is, you're potter, right? That's the appropriate response if you're arguing with a mayor. But the appropriate response when arguing with the Chachamim is going to be to notch it up another level, to say not just you're potter, but even that you're mutter. Now, he, in theory, he could have said mutter even by a mayor. But the fact that he didn't say mutter is not a proof that it doesn't hold mutter. Okay? But when he's talking in the Chachamim's language, and the Chachamim already said, you actually putter already, then of course he has to say mutter or else he's not establishing his differentiation at all. When he's going on, on the on mayor's position, says then he says putter. Your example. When he's going on the Chachamim, say your putter. But it's still forbidden. It's exempt, but still forbidden. Then he says, you're even permitted to do this ideally. Okay. Don't get scared. It's not such a hard dot. I mean, it is long, but not so hard. Okay, turning the page now. What's the mayor's position? Woman cannot go out with a key in her hand. And if she goes out with a key in her hand, she's obligated to bring a karmachatis. Right? This is the price on which he argues on her mayor. In that price, he says that she's popped by kevelos of Slaycha Shapayatan. Gemara asks the obvious question. Remeir didn't mention a word about this. All Remeir spoke about is Mafteyach Shabiyada, key in her hand. Where does where does then come to say Hoiter exempts by this? They're not speaking to each other. It's non sequitur. Kevelas mandikar shema. Who said anything about kevelas? Chasuri machsura. You have to explain that Bryce was missing some words. Vachi ketani. This is how you have to read it. The mayor puts in three things together. First of all, the key in her hand. Second of all, the kevelas. Third of all, the tzleicha shalpayatan. All these things, she cannot go out with them. If she goes out with them, chayachatas. That's the opinion of the mayor. Abel Yezer, Peter, Bekebelas, Tzleicha Shapayatan. Abel Yezer says, you are exempt. 
you're exempt from bringing a carbon in the case of the kevelas, of the, the sachet of, of nice smelling herbs, and in the case of in the case of um, the little jar of uh, balsam oil. Mar says like this: When are you potter? Only when the the um, the. I'm not sure if we're going on the one second. Payatan. So we're going on the payatan case now. We're going on the case of the little jar. So we say that you're only potter from carbon chatas if the jar actually has oil in it, right? Let's say the jar no longer has any of this, uh, you know, fantastic smelling oil in it, right? Then what's the halacha? So right now we're saying that if it had oil, then you're not going to be chayev. But the implication is if it has no oil, you are going to be chayev. Why are you chayev? So what's going on here? What's going on here is like this. If you have a vessel that is serving a role as, as um, subordinate to the, to the thing which is contained inside it, and the thing which is contained inside it, you're actually permitted to go out with Shabbos, right? So let's say you go out with the balsam oil, and the balsam oil makes this a, um, an, an ornament. Right? So then the fact that you have the glass jar that's holding the balsam oil, that's not an issue because the glass jar is subordinate to the thing which you're permitted to go out wearing. Now, let's say you go out with a glass jar, but you don't have any balsam oil left in it. Well, then you're going out with a glass jar and then you're carrying. Right? So the Gemara says, presumably we see from here that if you go out with this glass jar without anything, without anything good smelling in it, then you're going to be amen by some chayabas. Then you're going to be obligated to bring a carbon. This is, comes to teach you. This comes to teach you that if you go out carrying a vessel on Shabbos with food inside the vessel, but the food inside the vessel is not enough food to actually reach a level of um, to reach a level of um, of the amount of food that's significant, right? Like I said, we're going to describe later what's the amount of food that's significant depending on, on which food group we're talking about. So the halacha is that if you go out, the, the, he tries to extrapolate from here that if you go out with a vessel that does not have the amount of food that's the requisite number, requisite volume of food, then you're going to be chayev. Right? Basically, he's assuming that a, a glass jar that no longer has a, a smell in it is the equivalent of less than the requisite measure of volume of food. And therefore, we see that the same way that when you go out with this glass jar, but less than the requisite measure of thing, you're going to be chayiv. Less than the requisite measure of the good smelling stuff, you're chayiv. So too, if you go out with a kli, with a vessel that has less than the requisite measure of food in it, you're also going to be chayiv. What are you chayiv for? For carrying out the vessel, not for carrying out the food. It's less than the requisite measure. So the Gemara says, "Ugatani chayavas." We see that you're chayiv. Rav Ashi, Rav Ashi says, "But alma emalacha potter." I can really tell you that generally speaking, if you would go out with this, with this uh, container, and it has less than, and it and it has um. And as less than the requisite measure of food, you're still potter. Because we still would say that the vessel is still subordinate to the food, even though the food is less than a significant amount, but it's still subordinate to the food as long as there's any food in there at all. Shani Hacha, what's different over here? The less Because when there's nothing left here, there's zero left here, right? And there's nothing left in the in the container at all. So if there's nothing left in the container at all, then you can't say, well, there's still some sort of scent that's remaining from the oil that was here before. And perhaps the scent itself will still render the glass jar subordinate to the scent. And perhaps the glass jar, you're not going to be obligated for carrying because the scent is still an ornament. No, that we don't say. But you can't bring a proof from the fact that you, you don't render it subordinate to a scent by itself to that when you actually have some food, but not the requisite measure, that we don't render it subordinate. Maybe over there we would render it subordinate. Okay. So now, now that we're in, um, now that we're talking about this balsam oil, we're going to continue on a little bit of a divergent topic. 
It says that the, the first of the of the oils, Yim Shachar, will be anointed. This is referring to balsam oil. So Rabbi Yisuf says like this. He asks the question. The it says when the Gemara in Tesefta uh, in Saita, right? The Gemara in Tesefta Saita goes through what happened the Zeras that we already discussed this once previously about the about the crowns that that Kalas are allowed to wear or not allowed to wear after the destruction of the Mikdash. So there are many things that they enacted that no longer can you do certain things after the destruction of the Mikdash. We want to be mamayat. We want to lessen our joy to show that we are still sad about the destruction of the Mikdash. Anybody who mourns the Mesa Mikdash will merit to see the Mesa Mikdash rebuilt. It's like one of the examples is and you're not supposed to listen to live music when you're eating food, right? And that's something which... Um, there's a question, does recorded music fall into that category, right? Because that's something that, I mean, I personally do all the time, and probably most people do often, right? That you're, you're listening to music while you're eating food. If recorded music falls into that category, we're in trouble. This is one of the places where Moshe Feinstein's position was not accepted by American society, even though generally speaking, we do accept his position. This is one place where we don't, because he believes that recorded music in this, this category would actually fall into the same thing as actual live music, and you wouldn't be allowed to do it. Um, that's one of the examples of things that we don't we no longer do after the destruction of Mesamekdash, right? So Vida Mambava says that you no longer should be anointing yourself with this oil after the destruction of Mesamekdash. They did not agree to him. But now, what's the reason that people use this anointing oil, right? Of this uh, balsam oil? Do they do it? Tainig means like comfort or, or pleasure, let's say. Why didn't they agree with him, right? If it is indeed about comfort, then why didn't they agree with him? What's the question? So the question is like this. The question is, the, the, paliot, the, um, the paliotan, if the reason why you're not allowed to, the reason why you wear it and it's permitted to wear it on Shabbos is because it smells good and then it becomes an ornament. Well, then if it smells good and it makes an ornament, well, then it should also fall into the category of tainun, something that's enjoyable. So why did they argue with Yudam and Baba and say that you are permitted to do this still after the destruction of Mesa? Those who drink from the Mizrakeyayin, what's Mizrakeyayin? So Mizrakeyayin, later on is going to discuss what the Mizrakeyayin are. So those who drink the Mizrakeyayin, so one of them says it's Kanishkinen. The Chadamar, Shem Mizrak, in case the say in Zalazesh. Rashi explains what are these two things. So one of them is that they would, uh, at the parties, they would like juggle wine glasses together with each other. And maybe that was something that they stopped doing, right? And the other one explains that it's some sort of um, a, a wine cup with two different holes in it. Since there's two different holes in it, I guess two people would drink at once, like from a fountain soda, something like that. So this is something that um, it says that you're still allowed to drink from that after the base of Mikdash is destroyed. Achinami, the Asr, should that also become forbidden? According to you, if it's all about tiny, if it's all about comfort, those things, these are also things, these are also um, actions that should be forbidden after basically it's just destroyed, because these are also actions that are liable to lead to tiny, to uh, enjoyment. Well, Rabbi Baruchuna, the Rabbi Baruchuna came to the house of the Beirish Galusa, right? The uh, the house of the leader of the exile. And the, the leader of the exile was drinking from this type of cup of wine. And Rabbi Baruchuna didn't say anything to him. So clearly he didn't say anything to him, because it's still permitted. So you're wrong. It's not that anything that gives pleasure is forbidden, right? That's not the, the bar. What's the threshold? Anything that gives tainug and also gives simcha, also gives joy. Then they said you should no longer engage in those activities after the destruction of the 
something that just has just has some sort of level of, of comfort or pleasure, but does not also include with it joy, then they did not make a zero, they did not have make any enactment against it. So now the Gemara, once we got into this conversation, describing this Pasuk, is a Pasuk in Amos. So now we're going to describe another Pasuk in Amos that's also related to, uh, to, um, to the Beis HaMikdash destruction. And we're going to describe, and, and I got that to go into exactly what happened over here. So the Pasuk says that they were lying down on their beds, Shane, and they were says that they were lying down on their beds, Shane, and they were sruchim. At this point, it's unclear what sruchim means. And they were doing something, they were spread out doing something on their beds. So he says, What happened? They were going to the bathroom, they were urinating right in front of their beds, totally naked. The God of Rabbi Rabbi says, He laughed at him or mocked him. Now, what's going on here? Very soon afterwards, the very next, not the next passage, but three seconds later in Amos, it says, and therefore they will get now, they will get um, exiled at the head of the exiles. For what? Because they went to the bathroom right in front of their beds, totally naked, and they urinated. That's why they should go at the head of the exile. It seems like a little bit of a, in, in um, crime doesn't fit the punishment. These are people who. Excuse they, me, Rabbi. I'm, I'm losing your I'm losing your audio. You're not coming in very clearly. Uh, is that true for everybody else, or is that is that my internet or Earl's internet? I, Earl, I think it might be you. Yeah, I can hear it pretty good. Oh, water. Hmm. Maybe put on headphones. Oh, thank you. No, I'm I'm wearing headphones. Oh, <laughs> I can hear you now. Thank you. Okay, I should lean forward a little bit. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to describe what was really happening. What were these people doing? What in, what behavior were they engaged in that therefore they they had to be exiled right at the head of the exile? They were engaged in some really bad behavior. What were they doing? So the Gemara says, They were sitting there, they're having a drinking party, and their beds, they would end up putting their beds one next to the other. And they were wife swapping. And they were, you know, stinking up. Masrichin means to be repulsive or disgusting. They were making it disgusting with Sheikh Zara with uh, with the semen of that was not there, right? They, their wives were uh, they were wife swapping essentially. And, and therefore, that's something that obviously does deserve um, uh, gallus. There are three things that bring a person to to uh, to be becoming poor, right? Uh, to poverty. These are they. Someone urinates in front of their bed um, while they are naked. Someone is mezalzel and makes light of the And also a man whose wife curses him out in front of him. Right? That's the three things that bring you to poverty. Right? What's the connection between a wife cursing you out and what's the connection with water? So the Gemara is going to get into these things. It says, when is it we talking about? We're talking about where you actually are turned around facing your bed and urinating. But if you're facing away from the bed and urinating naked, that's not such a big deal. And even if you're going to urinate in front of your bed, facing your bed, as long as you're actually using a chamber pot, it's not the end of the world. But if you're not using a chamber pot and you're urinating on the floor, 
then it is um, it's it's something that's uh, completely disrespectful and therefore it deserves this. So I'm looking at Rashi right now. Rashi actually explains. Rashi says it says an average sachem in the tenth parak of sachem. Shara the aniusa novel shemei the isara the the master the minister of poorness right so what's his name his name is novel novel means uh you know corrupted or perverted so basically what the gemara is trying to say is someone who does this type of activity that is novel it's it's, it's a gross activity it's a very it's an animalistic type behavior so since it's an animalistic type behavior it's the type of behavior that deserves measure for measure that the the um that anius Poverty is going to attach itself to you. The, the minister of poverty is novel, and your behavior is novel. Great, you deserve it. Um, so let's see. That's the first one. Um, sorry, I went back a little bit. And if you make light of it, if you, uh, yeah, make light of it. Rava says, Rava says, only time I where you did not end up really washing your hands well at all. But if you did wash your hands and, and, and at the same time not wash your hands, so I think what he means is that you, you washed, but you didn't like, um, you didn't make, make sure that enough water really got there, right? So if you've ever seen Murad or, uh, or lots of Spartan, they're very, very careful with with the with the water. So they'll make sure the water, the cup is really, really full, which you're supposed to do. Everybody sh should do that. And what they do is they pour the water, but they hold their hands up while they're pouring the water. So first, wants to symbolize that your hands are up to Shemayim, but also you put your hands up so that the water really gets in every single place on your hand to make sure that you really do a good job covering every single spot on your hand. So now if someone is mezalzal and Sidaim, what's the issue? The issue is like this. By being mezalzal and Sidaim, that's looked at as one of the... Um, it's like an epitome of a rabbinic decree. So being mezalzal in it, you're showing that you don't have any respect for the for the words of the chachamim. So that's also something that does not deserve, I guess, deserves to become uh, poor from that. Okay. Um, okay. So basically, Rava is not really so right because you know what Rav Chizda would do? Rav, Rav Chizda said about himself that he poured a tremendous amount of water and you know what happened? Hashem filled up his hands with toiva, with good. Right? Because he filled up his hands with the water to satisfy the, the requirement of Chazal, therefore Hashem filled up his hands with good. So Rava said, eh, it's not such a big deal. You don't have to really be so careful. Just just wash your hands and you know do do a eh job. So Rav is saying, or at least the Gemara is saying, that's not really so true because we see from Rav Chizda that, that you do have to be very careful with this, or else if, if you want to actually make the money. So Rav says, what, what's going on over here? What are we talking about? Well, your wife is cursing you, therefore you become poor. Maybe your wife is cursing you because she has issues, right? That's not a reason to become poor. So Rav says, no, this is actually pretty logical. You know what happened here? You had money and you decided to be stingy. And your wife said, buy me some jewelry. Perhaps your wife said, buy you jewelry, buy her jewelry before you have them play them, right? Before every yom, you're supposed to buy your wife jewelry, right? And instead, he didn't buy his wife jewelry and she wants the jewelry. So then she cursed him out and said, you're so cheap on, on me. But when it came to buying yourself the wine for you, you bought yourself some great wine. But for, for the jewelry for me, you didn't buy it. She cursed him. So then you're not using your money in a proper way. If Hashem gives you money, right, then part of what you should be doing with the money is fulfilling the, the mitzvahs. And also one of the most important mitzvahs is to make sure that your wife is happy. And you didn't do it. And you didn't fulfill the way the Chacham said you're supposed to do that by buying her jewelry. So therefore, you're going to get punished and you're going to lose the money. Rav 
What is this Pasuk that says, that Hashem says, I think this is in Yermio, no, it's in Yishayo, right? So this is in Yishayo. Hashem says, Yan, because Kigavu because the Benaistian Gavu, right? They raised themselves up, they made themselves arrogant, and therefore a punishment occurred. So the Benais Yisrael were walking in a very tall, looking, standing very straight and tall and erect, and that is something which brings attention to us. They were walking in a way that's also very uh, arrogant, and it's a way meant to draw attention. And in those days, the way that meant is walking with these very small, small steps that the Akeb, the heel, was on the was your heel never got past the the like the the big the big um the big toe. So basically, you're walking with these very small steps. Now, um, just to be clear here, all, all these me, I can't hear you. All these cases are talking about cases where uh, it's a married woman trying to draw attention to herself. We're not talking about a single woman trying to draw attention to herself. Because a single girl is, you know, at least on some level, it might be okay for her to, to draw attention to herself if she's in Shadokham, at least, right? But for a married woman looking to draw attention to herself from, from random people in the street, that's not the way to do things. And, and this did bring some bad things on Kali Yisrael. So what's the thing? So first of all, she's walking very straight. She's walking these very uh, small steps. What does Meshach mean? That she's uh, lying with her eyes. She puts a lot of makeup on her eyes. And she is Meramzan. She's like looking at, at single guys or a different guy who's not married to her. And she's winking at him and flirting with him in the street. They would walk like this. They would have a tall person walking with a short person. Why did they do that? They did that so that the, the tall person would look uh, would look even better. And with their feet, So what is this? They would put some sort of a, you know, mar is like a, a mirror. And a farsaman is, um, I think it's a, um, a peach. I think we say it's a peach. But um, so basically, they would put these good smelling things in their and in their shoes. They were walking in the marketplace of Yerushalayim. And when they got to a single guy, they would see a single guy. They would kick on the ground. What would they do? And when they did that, they're walking past the man, a single guy, and they're flirting while they're walking past. And then they do a little uh, dainty step and they kick down at the floor. And that makes this good smell come out of their feet. And then the, this guy gets intoxicated with this perfume, and then it leads to maybe wife swapping or something of that nature. And therefore, they get punished. My parents say him, what is their uh, punishment? It says that um, instead of their voice, instead of their, uh, their good smelling stuff, they had mak. Yeah, yeah. The place that they were using, that they were, uh, you know, make, putting a good scent in, that became a place that became nimakim nimakim, something that uh, that Rashi says, that it became something that became empty. So, uh, the place where they had a chagura, a belt that was done with tiltzol, that is done with a, with a nice sound. So what ended up happening is it became nikafim nikafim. is that basically they, it became completely destroyed. 
in a place where they were, uh, it became where, where probably where they were making their hair really nice and long and pretty, it became karcha, became bald. The place where they were miskashtes, they were they were um, beautifying themselves and ended up becoming bald. Etachas pasigo mechagura sak sachin amevin lide gila yiu lemachkera sak. Etachas yefi kitachas yefi. That basically they instead of wearing their their nice thing, they would have to wear a sack instead of that. This is the punishment for all of their behaviors. That everything that they were using in a in the unintended way and using in a way to to lead to znus, to lead to uh, illicit behavior, every single one of these things that ended up turning uh, you know disgusting and and their behavior got punished in the kenegimita. You know the character for measure for measure. Amar Rava Rava says This is what people say. Chilufe shofra kiva. They say that. Um, they say that Chilufe Shifra is Kiva. Kiva is Kiyutura, Lecha, Kumai, Shechna Vikivi, the Kedushin, the Kalimu. Not sure what Kiva is. What's Kiva, Earl? Earl can't hear us. Wayne, how about you? It, it says source. Okay. So in the place of their, of their, um, the shofra became it became sores instead. So Hashem called Kaid Benaisetzian. Amar Rabbi Yisi Rabbi Chanina Malamit Shaparcha Behen Tzaraas. We see from here that they got Tzaraas. Ksiv Hachat says over here the Sapach. The Ksiv Hasam the Seisu the Sapachas. Hashem Pischan. Sorry, the Seisu the Sapachas. We see that the Shapach indicates that they actually got Tzaraas as as uh, as retribution for what they had done. Hashem. Pischan Yaara. And Hashem made their their um Pisan Yaara, their openings became like Yaara, like a forest. One of them says that it, it spilled out like a kitan, like a, a big jug, right? So this is referring to this is referring to Shabekha's Dam Ziva, that they became Zavis, that they had this sort of uh, a natural discharge and it was coming out like a kitan, like a jug of water coming out. And one of them says that their openings became like a yar. So what does this mean that their openings became like a yar? So uh, presumably, that they became extra, extra hairy and nobody would have any interest in getting near them because they, they were so hairy. Right, so now, now, so far we've been talking about the men. I'm sorry, the women. Now we're going to switch to, well, what did the men of Yerushalayim do wrong? And we're going to see that they, they were right along with them step for step. What did they do? They, um, what did you eat today? Did you eat um, bread that was well needed or bread that was not so well needed? What are they really referring to? So Rashi keys us in over here. Did you eat bread that was well needed? In other words, did you sleep with a woman who had already had relations with someone else previously, no longer a virgin? Or did you sleep with a woman? They said, did you eat bread that was not a mila? Bread that was no, not yet needed. What are we referring to? Did you sleep with a virgin today? Right? Now we know that the Gemara, Gemara elsewhere says that bread and a woman, that, that's a euphemism for, for marital relations. So, did you drink wine gordily or did you drink wine that was hardily? What's yayin gordily? Love and haya. It's white wine. Or did you drink yayin hardily? Dark wine. What they're asking is the girl that you slept with today, was she a light skinned or was she dark skinned? When you were sitting down to eat your meal, the bed that you were sitting on, was it a, a narrow bed or was it a wide bed, right? Was it a fat lady or a skinny lady? 
When you were sitting down to eat, was it with a, a good friend or was it with a bad friend? What ended up happening? How was it? Was the woman pretty or not pretty? All of these questions that they were asking each other was really all about about you know illicit relations. So this is why the, the men of Yerushalayim were getting punished, right? So this Gemara is indicating that both the men and women of Yerushalayim were not just Yerushalayim, but probably the entire Israel were completely were completely immoral behavior and completely depraved. The, the trees of Yerushalayim were had, had cinnamon trees in Yerushalayim. And when they would light these trees of the cinnamon trees, it was such a delicious scent that the entire Eretz Yisrael would smell the scent of the Yerushalayim uh, trees. Yerushalayim was destroyed. It was hidden away. Only a tiny bit was left, like the size of a soira, like the size of a barley. And it was left over, it was found in the in the in, in the um, storehouses of Tsimsumai, Malkis of Tsimsumai, the queen. Right? This is the another one of the examples of what the Mishnah site that tells us at length about the the things that happened when the destruction of the Mesa came, that lots of things in, in nature actually were no longer as great as they had been before. This is another one of those examples. Okay. Let's do this next Mishnah. So a man cannot go out and chop us now with a side, now with a sword, with a bow, Tris is a shield. Allah, the Gemara is going to say what that is. And Roymach is a spear. He goes out with a says, no, no, It's a tachshit for a man to go out wearing a, a nice sword on his hip. That's a tachshit. The Chacham say this is only a an embarrassment that he goes out wearing this shenemar. The kitzutu charvayislam leitem lechani soiseihem lemizmaris leyisagayel gaycharev leyomadoyim mechabam. So he says no. The Chacham disagree with him. They say like this. They say this cannot be a good thing to go out wearing this. It can't be a tachshit. Why? Because the famous pasuk in Mishaya says that what's going to happen when Mashiach comes? What's going to happen is that the um, the swords will turn into um, into uh, plows. And the and the spears will turn into what is it? Your swords will be beaten into plowshares, and and the the spears will be turned into mizmaris, um, right? Into pruning things. So, and nobody will any, and nobody will ever fight with each other anymore. So you can't tell me the Mishnah right now assumes that their response is you can't tell me this is a passion. If when when lost love when Mashiach comes, they'll no longer be necessary at all, and it cannot be by definition something that's a passion. So we said earlier that a virus was the like the, the piece of um, like some some sort of like ring that a woman would wear around her um, around her stockings to keep the stockings up on her on her thigh. It's called so a garter. Garter. Okay. So a garter. He said it's tahira. It is ritually pure. It cannot become ritually impure. And the reason why is because it's not actually a vessel in in and of itself. The of and you're allowed to wear you wear it outside on Shabbos. Kavalim, it's unclear what Kavalim are right now. So Kavalim are ritually impure, and you're not allowed to go out with it on Shabbos. One of them is considered more of a vessel, and you're not allowed to go with it on Shabbos. One of them is less of a vessel, you're allowed to go out with it on Shabbos. Ma'iba Allah, what's an Allah? An Allah, right, the Mishnah tells us an Allah. We don't know what Allah is, some sort of weapon. So it's a kolfa. It's a, sorry guys, it's a kolfa, which is a some sort of mace, right? You know, some sort of a, a stick with a, you know, with the with the spikes sticking out of it. Eliezer and Matachshit in later. Eliezer says it's Tachshit. Tanya Amr Leila Eliezer. Went to the Brisa. They say Brisa goes further in this conversation. Amr Leila Eliezer said to Eliezer, "Bchinei Achad Tachshit in Hain." 
if it's really a tashin, if it's really a, a an ornament, with name Matt, and why are they going to be bottle? Why will they become nullified in the days of Mashiach? We're no longer any weapons anymore. Amalan he says to them, We're not gonna need it anymore. Shnema says that Yusagaya a nation will not bear a sword against each other, but the Habila Nai for Alma, and it'll only be for uh, for Nai, it'll still be Nai. It's true, you're not gonna need it, but people might still wear it for beauty. So the same way that a, a candle during the day doesn't have a purpose. All this argues on Shmuel. This is a very famous Machlekes Amarayim. And the argument is, what is going to happen when Mashiach comes? How are we meant to understand these Pesukim in Yeshaya? And in general, what are we supposed to understand what will happen when Mashiach comes? Shmuel says, she, the only thing that's going to change when Mashiach comes is nothing's going to change about the, the matter and the nature of the world. We're still going to have to work to make a living. And people might still not get along so well. The difference that's going to be is that the nation of the world will no longer subjugate the Jewish people. Shemesh says, It says in the Pasuk in the Torah that there will never never disappear poor people from the land. Now, if Mashiach is going to come and everything's going to be completely, all these Pesukim that talk about when Mashiach comes out, things are going to be completely different. And that's really meant to be understood literally. How could the Pasuk in the Torah tell us that nobody, there will never be a, no poor people in the land? What do you mean? There will be no poor people in the land. If everything's meant to be understood literally, then when Mashiach comes, everybody will have a tree that's growing these uh, things and therefore there will, there, will, there will no longer be poor people in the land. All the Nevi'im only came to, to give prophecy about what's going to happen in the Mashiach. But what's going to happen in the world to come, no eye has seen what's going to happen in the world to come except for your eyes, Hashem. Right? So in other words, in other words, Rukhiyah um, Abba seems to also think that things will be very different. And the other, other version of saying this is they said to Rukhiyah if indeed it is going to be a taqshit, if, if you're saying that you're permitted to go out with this in Shabbos, it's an ornament, then why are we saying that's going to be battle in Mashiach? Why would it be battle? Why would it be nullified? If it's still a taqshit, then they should still wear it as a taqshit in Mashiach. Um, on my land, he said to them, he says, even in Mashiach, they're not going to be battle because you know what? People are going to still use it. I know the Shmuel. This is the opinion of Shmuel. It says that things are going to be different. It says, why does it say it's It says that you should uh, strap on a sword onto your, onto your thigh of a great one, it will be your your uh, your honor, and your your beautification, right? So he sees that a pasuk in pasuk in Tehillim, it's a pasuk in Tehillim that says that basically wearing a sword is a it's a sign of honor. You misunderstood that pasuk. The pasuk is not really referring to an actual real life sword; it's referring to Pyro. How's referring to Pyra? He says, one second. The Mikra doesn't go away from the Mshutai. It's true. It might also be referring to Torah, but you can't take the verse completely away from its simple meaning. And the simple meaning is talking about an actual sword on your on your hip. When I was 18 years old, I finished the entire Shas. And I still didn't even know at that point the Imrik Yetzim Neb Shutai. And there's no such thing as a verse that's meant to be understood completely allegorically. It always has some literal meaning as well. And until now. 
What did we learn from here? We learn from here is a very big lesson Rakan is teaching us that even if you don't understand everything that you're learning from your teachers, it doesn't make a difference. Just learn it anyways, even without understanding everything. The reason why this is particularly funny, Yaakov, is because Rav Kahana was the one who says that you don't need to care about which shoe you put on first, the right shoe or left shoe. But he also is of the opinion that it doesn't make a difference. Um, it doesn't. He's also of the opinion that, uh, that you have to learn from your Rebbe without even understanding it. Just learn and learn and learn. And then afterwards, you'll, you'll figure out exactly what he means.